You're listening to NPS, and I'm your host, James Ledesma. Welcome back to MPS, also known as the Mixtape Preservation Society, also known as the Music Podcast Series. I'm James Ledesma, formerly known as BJ Fornicati, and it's been a long time since I last podcast to you, and I apologize for that, but I was busy. Now I have a more flexible schedule, so I'm able to hop back on the podcast bandwagon. And none too soon, because I've got a lot of stuff that I want to play for you. Last time we left off, I was working on various projects, original music with a band called Chromata 4. And in future episodes, we'll get to that more specifically. We're actually listening to some Chromata 4 right now underneath uh, as I'm talking to you. But... It's not ready for the world yet, so we're going to get on to something that I've been wanting to do for a long time with my podcast, and I just didn't fit it in because I thought I had to have hosts, I thought I had to have guests, and things like that, and really there's no rules, so I'm just going to jump right into uh, something I like to delve into every now and then. If you know me in person, you know that... I've got a lot of useless information in my head, and most of it concerns music, and it's because I'm endlessly fascinated by the history of popular music. And today we're going to focus on a song that you may or may not know, most likely you do not know, and it's titled Rocket Number 9. In order to start this off, we gotta go all the way back to the late 50s and early 60s in Chicago. A jazz pianist by the name of Herman Poole Blount recorded the first version of Rocket Number no. 9 with his band, The Orchestra. You may know Herman Poole Blount by his better known persona, Sun Ra. Now, for those of you who don't know about Sun Ra, He was one of the most avant-garde, flamboyant, and strangest jazz musicians to come down the pike. Definitely one of the most influential as well. And yet, a lot of people don't know who he is. But if you ever saw him or you ever heard him, you wouldn't forget him. Sun Ra took his name from Egyptian mythology, and a lot of his music was a mix of Egyptology and science fiction. Kind of a precursor to what eventually became Parliament Funkadelic and the mothership connection with George Clinton arriving on stage in a spaceship uh, talking about building the pyramids. Sun Ra was doing this in the 50s and 60s. And his version of Rocket Number 9 is very fast and very jazzy. And as you're going to see in the evolution of this tune, its musical destiny traverses light years in pop cultural time. Here's Sun Ra's version of Rocket Number 9. Rocket Number 9, 
Fast forward eight or nine years into the future, a band from Louisville, Kentucky, named the New Rhythm and Blues Quartet, later to be named the New Rhythm and Blues Quintet when they added a fifth member, and collectively abbreviated to NRBQ, decided to cover Rocket Number 9 in their own fashion sort of acid rock, psychedelic 60s style. This is the version of the song that I first heard when I bought a copy of NRBQ's first album in a head shop. It was my favorite track on the whole album, and this is way before I had ever discovered Sun Ra. So, of course, buying the record and looking at the credits and the liner notes and talking to people who knew about Sun Ra caused me to go backwards in time and look up the work of Sun Ra and and I was amazed by what I found. NRBQ are sort of legendary in their own right and yet never really popped up through the surface of pop culture mainstream acceptance. I think the most mainstream NRBQ has ever been was they composed a version of the Simpsons theme song on the show During the credits, they were actually shown recording it live. And I think that's about as mainstream as it got for them. Not that they were crazy underground art rock. I mean, their music is pretty much what you expect from a band that uses the words rhythm and blues in their name. And so it might have ended right there. But things get more and more mainstream and trendy as time goes on. Rocket number nine, take off for the planet, to the planet, Venus. Rocket number nine, take off for the planet, to the planet, Venus. Rocket number nine, take off for the planet. So for decades, the song Rocket Number 9 stayed under that radar of pop culture. And throughout the 80s and 90s, there's no real reference to it. You really only had the two versions by Sun Ra and NRBQ. Certain artists may have covered it live or done unreleased versions or deep cut covers on their albums. But other than that, it remained a cult favorite something that people like me were aware of. And then around the late 2010s, I want to say, about a decade after the millennium passed, a French art rock Europop group named Zombie Zombie covered the song. And this is their version right here. 
Zombie is known for doing weird stuff. They've covered the theme music from John Carpenter's movies, for example. John Carpenter being the horror movie maestro. Uh, They've done a lot of strange experimental things. A lot of varied and different artists have quoted their work. The most notable happened to be Lady Gaga, who sampled their version of Rocket Number no. 9 for her song Venus, which came out on the third album that she released as Lady Gaga. So let's recap here. We start off with an eccentric jazz musician from the middle of the 20th century who believes he was born on Saturn, wearing onks during his set, referring to his band as the orchestra, playing a combination of fusion and free jazz well before these musical genres came into their own. He gets covered by... A bunch of hippie southerners from Kentucky who do something that wouldn't sound out of place on the Grateful Dead album. That trajectory travels through time to Europe where a French pop group deconstructs and reinvents the tune. And that gets picked up by Lady Gaga. And now you're listening to it on my podcast. You're hearing the bow being pulled back, the arrow being mounted... The shot being taken and it lands somewhere. And that's the power and the beauty of pop music. You start with something pure, you dilute it, you mongrelize it, and yet somehow the essence of what it's supposed to be about is carried through. The seed is planted and it grows. And that fascinates me about pop music. Uh, Just for the sake of it, I'm going to drop another one for you on this episode. It's not as extensive. It doesn't span as much history as Rocket Number 9, but it takes a lot of twists and turns. It's more of a roller coaster ride. So if you don't know who Burt Bacharach is, he's one of the most famous composers and songwriters in the 20th century pop music canon. His partner, Hal David, wrote the lyrics to dozens of songs from Dionne Warwick's I'll Never Fall in Love Again which was featured in one of the Austin Powers movies, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.J. Thomas the theme from Arthur with Dudley Moore That's What Friends Are For which was covered by 
Gladys Knight, Elton John, Stevie Wonder, and Dionne Warwick, but was originally done by Rod Stewart for the movie Night Shift, starring Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton and directed by Ron Howard. Backracks all over the place. You could do a whole different family tree of his music in one episode of this podcast. But what I'm going to focus on is a song he did for a movie that came out in the 1960s called What's New Pussycat? Now, What's New Pussycat in and of itself deserves its own category. Mid-1960s sex romp starring Peter O'Toole, Peter Sellers, written by Woody Allen, and featuring the music of Burt Bacharach. A version of the song, My Little Red Book, was performed by the band Manfred Mann, they of do-wah-diddy-diddy-dum-diddy-do fame. Bacharach and David specifically did this song because they wanted to work with bands that were part of the British invasion in the wake of the Beatles' success. Manfred Mann was one of those bands. And so their version was featured heavily in the movie. And it doesn't stray very far from the arrangement that Burt Bacharach intended. About a year after What's New Pussycat came out, a garage band from Los Angeles that went by the name Love covered it. Precious love, I can't go on 
reportedly Burt Bacharach hated their version. It was kind of like what punk rock is to rock and roll. It basically stripped it down, deconstructed it, made it more rock, less Baroque. It took a lot of the nuance and shading of Bacharach's music out and replaced it with pure attitude. Kind of in the vein of Rocket Number no. 9, I never heard the Bacharach version until after I heard Love's version. In fact, I thought the band Love, Arthur Lee and company, wrote the song. So I prefer the Love version the best. <laughs> I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here in regards to the song Interstellar Overdrive, which was an early Pink Floyd staple. The song originated when guitarist Sid Barrett heard the band's manager, Peter Jenner, humming a song, which Barrett tried to interpret by playing it on his guitar. The song that the manager was singing was My Little Red Book. Sid Barrett's interpretation of his manager humming the melody to My Little Red Book became the basis for the main guitar riff in Interstellar Overdrive by Pink Floyd. Now this is before Dark Side of the Moon, The Wall, all the stuff that made Pink Floyd great. This is Sid Barrett, the Pink Floyd's primary songwriter and guitarist, the founder of the group, the person who named the group based upon the names of two bluesmen that he admired, Pink Anderson and Floyd Council. And it's also one of my favorite freak-out jams from the 60s. And I think it's great that this all stems from a backrack to it. When Burt Backrack gave birth to freaked-out British acid rock, which also shares with Rocket Number no. 9 the theme of traveling into outer space. So there you have it. Two examples in my mind of how songs morph into others. I guess in a way you can call it a sort of six degrees of separation when it comes to music. Interstellar Overdrive has been covered by everyone from T-Rex to Pearl Jam. The most recent usage being in one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, specifically Doctor Strange. The scene where he crashes in his vehicle in the beginning of the movie, that's Pink Floyd's Interstellar Overdrive. And that comes from the very humble Burt Bacharach not liking Love's cover of his tune. Now, if you're interested in Burt Bacharach's version, another contemporary artist, Elvis Costello, collaborated with Burt Bacharach on a series of concerts and recordings, and we're going to end with their version of My Little Red Book, which I think has its own splendid charm to it. Thank you for listening to MPS. I'm sorry it took so long to get back into the fray of things, but I hope you'll join me on more musical endeavors as the year goes on. We made it past the pandemic. Hopefully you're healthy and feeling good. And just remember to keep making those mixtapes. And that's it. Talk to you soon. Peace.
just got out my little red book the moment that you said goodbye. I thumbed right through my little red book. I wasn't gonna sit and cry. And it went from A to Z. the blog at www.fornicati.blogspot.com. Thank you for listening to MPS.